Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Okay, um, let me let me pray and uh, open your Bibles, uh, Uversion app as always. Love you to be following along. You can highlight, you can underline, you can write your own notes. Notes, ask your own questions, um, and let's we'll uh, crack in. But uh, let me pray first. Father, we we do honour you. We celebrate you. We thank you for the freedom that we do have to gather in your name. Uh, we. We ask your forgiveness for when we can take it so easily for granted, whether that's gathering in worship or in prayer or reading your word, when we get so overwhelmed by what's happening around us and the circumstances, when we get so overwhelmed by the things we feel like we have to tick off our list, that we lose sight of your love. So in this moment, we want to draw aside. We stand with our brothers and sisters throughout this state, throughout this uh, nation, Uh, Throughout the world, we stand with our brothers and sisters throughout the persecuted church, Father, who will be gathering in various forms and expressions. And we, we pray that you would be a blessing and encouragement to your church, Father, that your church would continue to come alive, be awakened, be stirred by your grace and your goodness, by your word again. Grant us a heart after your own heart. As we come to your word, may your word speak truth to us and life to us. May we hear of your call and of your purpose and of your invitation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Many of us would know the story of uh, Chicken Little, the folk tale, the fairy tale, whatever you might like to call it, of Chicken Little. Uh, Basically, Chicken Little is out doing what chickens do one day when all of a sudden it feels a knock on her head. It's an acorn, we're told. We're discovered pretty early on that an acorn falls on this chicken's head. But this chicken is so overwhelmed with this acorn falling on its head that the chicken has decided that the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Um, And so with great um, enthusiasm, with great sense of uh, immediate response, with a a sense of needing to do something about it and warn someone and something, Chicken Little sits off on this adventure to go and tell the king that the sky is falling. You might like to think, you know, for this little chicken, the sky is falling is that the end of the world is coming. So along she goes, and along the way, she shares what's happened, tells, warns anyone who will listen. So Chicken Little ends up leading Henny Penny, Cocky Locky, Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy, Turkey Lurky, and Foxy Loxy. (laughs) Does not sound like a staff meeting. I don't even want to know who you think I am. <laughs> Chicken Little leads these, peop- these farm animals, I keep saying people, but these characters, these other farm animals, to go and tell the king. And they're all so excited. They've been wrapped up in what Chicken Little has experienced. Believe without a doubt that the sky is falling because Chicken Little has told the story with such enthusiasm, with such passion, with such urgency. The sky is falling. So off they all go. 
Along the way, as they're making their way to the king's palace uh, area, presence, uh, Foxy Loxy, of course, is the most cunning of them all and leads them through a shortcut. Says there's a shortcut down here, which just happened to be Foxy Loxy's burrow. And at that moment, Foxy Loxy seeks to eat Henny Penny. Cocky Locky, Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy and Turkey Lurky. Despite my best efforts, I couldn't memorise them. And they all run for their lives, all scurry back to their homes. And the king is never told that the sky is falling. The king is never told that the sky is falling. It's a ridiculous story. If for nothing else, for the names... And the point of which you can discuss later. But it's not the only narrative that causes people to yell that the sky is falling or that the end of the world is coming. We've been told that comets coming past the earth at a certain time would see the end of the world. We've been told that planets aligning at a particular time, in a particular moment, in a particular place, in a particular moment of history is the end of the world. We've been told you can watch the colour of the moon to discover when the end of the world would be coming. The sky is falling. We've been told that floods and fires, the HIV virus, all are signs that the end of the world is coming. And who remembers 1999? The Y2K The computers would not be able to handle that we went from 1999 or 99 to 00. Traffic would be in upheaval. The world would explode. Computers would stop working. And the end of the world would be here. The sky is falling. It creates a great story, doesn't it? It creates great tension in movies. If you watch movies, superhero movies, whatever kind of movie, earthquake movies, flood movies, it creates great tension and there's a darkness or an impending doom seeking to overtake the world. And there's a few select people who determine that there is something else that they can do, whether that be Thor and Captain America or whether it be the local firefighter down the street or the parent trying to get home to their loved ones, someone, somewhere will save the world from the sky falling upon them. The end of the world, or the sky is falling, or even if you want to call it Jesus is returning, is not new language. This is, in fact, language that has been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Even the New Testament writers and even the people who worship other gods believe that the end of the world or there would be a moment where the gods return in some way, in some form, in some expression. And they would, at some point, make all things right or restore things or end all things that were not right and restore the world as it was made to be. So it's not a new story. First century Christians were just as familiar with the reality and the urgency. We have a fascination with this story that the sky is falling. The end of the world. And it's not just movies. It's not just fairy tales. It's not just New Testament Christians. My goodness, hasn't the fascination increased over the last 18 months? Yeah. 
It is faithful, well-meaning, Bible-believing, church-growing Christians who love to tell this story as well. So here's my question for you today. Is the task of the Bible-believing, well-meaning, church-going, follower of Jesus, Christian, is our task meant to declare that the sky is falling, the end of the world is coming? Or is there something else that we're invited into? Can you believe we're nearly at the end of the Gospel of Mark? This is the second last message of the Gospel of Mark. Some of you will be going, oh, praise God for that. Some of you hopefully have gone deeper and pressed in. Again, I encourage you to go back and read it all. Read through it in smaller parts. Look what it means again. Discover what it means again. And today we're going to look at Mark 13. This is, of course, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Um, And the next following chapters we discussed around the Easter time, around the Easter season. And next week we're going to finish with the end of Mark chapter 16. We're going to look at Mark 13 in its entirety today. I'm going to pull it apart verse by verse, all 37 verses of them for you. (laughs) You've lost your touch. You can't tell if I'm serious or not anymore. Um, But I want to invite you today to hear the story and invite you to hear what the Spirit might be saying to you. What are the questions that you might have? What might you need to unpack a little bit more? This is actually an unusual text for Mark because it's quite a long long monologue. It's the largest monologue, largest piece of Jesus speaking that the Gospel of Mark puts within his witness, within his account of who Jesus was. Uh, Many scholars will believe that this is actually a collection of sayings rather than a message, um, much like we've seen through the Sermon in the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew or the John 17 prayer. So this is, some would believe, a collection of sayings. But remember, the point in all this is to decide who we will follow. What do you do with the one who has authority over demons? What do you do with the one who has authority over illness? What do you do with the one who has uh, authority over all created things? What do you do with the one who has authority and teaches with such authority that he attracts such significant and large crowds? What do you do with the one who can perform such powerful miracles? What do you do with this one? And then he calls himself the suffering servant. What do you do with this Jesus, the Christ, the one who calls himself the Son of God, Messiah? There's incredible language in this that many will align with end times prophecy. There's some language that comes from Daniel chapter 7, and there's certainly some imagery from Revelation that seems to align with that. That's just an extra bonus kind of footnote for you. Mark chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Sounds like an exciting kind of future, doesn't it? Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Because it's such a rose of petals now, isn't it? A bed, a bed of roses now, isn't it? It's such a comfortable experience for you now. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, or there's Matt, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation or this race, some translations might say, will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. You're going to have to click for me now, Olivia. Please. Who's on? Yes. Here we go. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. Remember where this all starts. 
Jesus clearly indicates, I'll just go back here for a minute. Jesus clearly indicates um, that this, as, as the disciples look at the grandeur of a building, the stones that have been placed upon their building, look at how magnificent it is. Look at how wonderful it is. And Jesus essentially says to them, you can see all this. You can marvel at all this. It's temporary. There's nothing here that you can see, touch, feel or experience that is permanent or eternal. Jesus clearly indicates the temporary nature of the temple and therefore begins to ask them or invite them to discover and explore and imagine what it is that will sustain them, what it is that will endure. Jesus redirects the attention of the disciples and now you and I to an eternal perspective in the midst of a present reality. See, I get why we proclaim the end of Jesus' return. I understand why we talk about getting closer to when Jesus will return or the end of the world, whatever language. I'm not sure the end of the world is actually the right language or the most biblical language that we can use. Jesus returning certainly is. But Jesus returning to store things, to restore things as they were meant to be. And the whole time we're invited to worship the king. Even while we watch. Even while we anticipate. Because yes, we can say that the, the, Jesus, the time of Jesus returning is coming closer. Do you know what? They were saying that. The New Testament writers were saying that. So we've been waiting how long so far? So what is it that should have our attention, do you think? What is it that we're meant to give our energy to? What is it that we're meant to give our time to? What is it that we're meant to turn our hearts, our minds and our spirits towards? I don't think this text or any text throughout the scriptures tells us to sit around and just talk about Jesus returning. That's not our call. That's not the task of the follower of Jesus. Certainly there's elements here. It's certainly not about God destroying the world. But here's what I suggest and the themes that come through uh, this chapter. And you can look them up all throughout scripture, I believe. I didn't bring a whole lot of Bible passages to back this up because I think it's all in Mark chapter 13. There's certainly plenty of other scripture that talks about it, but don't be deceived. Don't get caught up in pointless arguments. Don't get wrapped up in what other people might demand of you. Come back to Jesus. What will draw your attention? What will have your heart? What will have your spirit? What will demand? And therefore, what demands your time and your energy? I mean, we, we can be deceived not just by people who are claiming to be the Son of the living God. We can be deceived by um, people who make the message sound popular or exciting or um, highly visual. You know, the, the Christian church over the last 20 to 30, 50 years has worked so hard to become so relevant, so culturally relevant, that we've lost sight of the invitation to worship. We've argued, had so many arguments over how it should look or shouldn't look that in the midst of that, we deceive ourselves because we lose the presence of Jesus. And a lot of it is around personal taste. 
Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by people who stay up or stand around and say, I've got the only message from Jesus or I am the one who's going to announce the great things. I think Mark 13 makes it pretty clear. Jesus made it pretty clear through his sayings. It will be obvious. Don't you think? And for me now, I'm a pretty simple guy. I appreciate that. People have asked me, Simon, have you done any research about vaccinations? I said, I wouldn't understand the first sentence that they wrote. So I'm a pretty simple guy. If Jesus says, not even the angels know the hour of the return, not even the sun knows the hour of the return, why am I going to give all my energy to that conversation? And yet we deceive ourselves because we think that's the gospel. How many people have you convinced of the love of Jesus by saying, if you don't believe in Jesus and the end of the world comes, you're burning in hell? No one's tried that argument? It's not good news, correct. Got to put it away. Be on your guard. What are we doing as people of faith? So many, and I know, we're, it's, it's not just, it's, it's myself as well. We're so busy. So busy ticking off the lists, running from one thing to the next, doing the things that make us feel good. And we're not really giving any attention to sit in the presence of God in silence or solitude, to be in his word or just to sit with him because we're so worn out and so frazzled that God, I just need to know that you're with me. What are you doing to guard your heart? What are you doing in um, feeding your spirit? And many of you sitting here and, and perhaps watching at home, maybe there's someone watching at home who's never heard this message before. You know, maybe your heart's worn out because you've just allowed so much other garbage into it. What we watch, and again, what we give attention to. How are you going sitting with Jesus? I haven't got time to do that. What do you mean you haven't got time to do that? Haven't got time to read the word? What do you mean you haven't got time to read the word? You know, we, we've... and No, I won't say that. Not yet. Um, so don't be deceived. Be on your guard. Be, be ready. You know, we, we know in the word, Peter writes that um, uh, be ready to give an account for your faith with gentleness and with respect. Be prepared. The word also says that God doesn't want one person to perish. So he's patient. That's going to require that we be on our guard. Proclaim the good news. Now, I know there's so much happening in our world, it can be difficult to proclaim the good news, can't it? What is the good news in this day and age? What is the good news? What is the hope of the world for us in the midst of this COVID, as we come out of this COVID crisis, as we're being driven by divisions around vaccination, families have been divided, friendships have been cut in half, people have been argumentative. Who is it that will stand up and proclaim the hope of the world? Who is it that will say, you know what, this is really hard, this is really tough, no one's enjoying this, but I have hope 
in a kingdom that is not yet fully revealed, in a kingdom that has been declared victorious through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I have hope because this is my experience. This is how I have met Jesus. This is how I have encountered the grace and the goodness of God in my life. People can't, if people want to argue with that, that's fine. People will argue with it. Just tell people what we know. And of course, again, maybe connected to be on your guard, but be watchful. Be ready. I think, you know, this, this text, Jesus says, don't be caught sleeping. Well, I think that goes to being deceived, be on your guard, proclaiming the good news. The call of the good news of Jesus Christ, the invitation from Jesus, it's not to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and to talk, you know, live in la-la land until he returns. That's what Jesus, I think, would call sleeping. We cannot be spiritually asleep. We need our sleep in our bodies for refreshment and renewal. But if we are spiritually asleep, we will be found out and we will be found short. It's a tough word. Welcome back, everyone. If I could have done any other message, I would have. But, you know, this is what we are going through. We are faced with increasing challenges. No doubt about it. Reports about floods, fires, earthquakes. I mean, 2019, we saw two months of fires. Can you, that was just two years ago. And people are still recovering from that. The east coast of Australia has now got an enormous amount of floods. What does it mean to be people of hope in the midst of these circumstances? And there's plenty of fires and floods and earthquakes and wars and rumours of wars that aren't reported because they don't suit our media or because they don't really affect you and I. There's commentary about conspiracy and one world governments. You can have many conversations about conspiracy theories. And then I think about the conversations that we had a few years ago about same-sex marriage, the discrimination laws that are up in the moment, the pandemic bills that are debated at the moment, and Christians bemoan that we are losing our rights. And I'm not disputing that we need to be involved, in uh, politically involved, we need to be critical thinkers, but we can't have it both ways, ladies and gentlemen. This might be a shock to us. We can't on the one hand say that Jesus is going to return and restore all things to himself, and on the other hand, complain that we're losing our rights as a Christian nation. Because if we read our scriptures, that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, it doesn't mean we sit around again and twiddle our thumbs, but we can't have it both ways, can we? Which one do you want? Do you want your rights of the empire, or do you want to declare the good news of the kingdom? And as I've read the testimonies of the persecuted church as we've uh, had our partnership with Open Doors, that's the 50 um, highest persecuted Christians in the world. North Korea being uh, number one, Afghanistan, still horrific circumstances happening. Right down to Vietnam, caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, Turkey, Ethiopia, Malaysia, 
The amount of countries, the persecuted churches. And I read a story in Secret Believers, uh, the book by Brother Andrew who founded Open Doors. And he's talking about the story, giving testimony to these people, the Christians who were having their businesses blown up, their homes destroyed, their families kidnapped. And everyone's gathered around the local priest. We've got to fight back. We've got to push back. We've got to argue back. We've got to defend our rights. And this priest just said, no, what we need to do is pray. And what we need to do is offer forgiveness and express love because that's what the world needs most now. And they were from people who were being beaten, imprisoned without cause and seeing their family members murdered. And their call is to pray, to gather in worship, declare the King of Kings despite threats of their life and then to offer them forgiveness and love to those who have caught them the most pain. Salvation is not in the temple. Salvation is not in miracle workers. It's not in celebrity preachers. It's not in the videos that you like, the social media status that you update. It's not even in your career. It's not even the success of your career, although it's good to succeed in it, but that's not your salvation. It's not even in your health. It's not even in how many times you've attended our worship services. It's not in the political party you follow or in the government systems. Salvation is and has always only been in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And this doesn't make us, and we know that, it doesn't make us immune from hardship. It doesn't make us from dis- immune from disappointment, health struggles, business failings, marriage failings, relationship disappointments. It doesn't make us immune from that. It doesn't make us immune from hardship or struggles. But even through hardship, we can live out of the heart of the Father. To love one another as he has first loved us. Not in power, not in might, not in strength but in serving one another. Not in status, not in political point of views, but in serving one another, in loving one another, even to loving our enemies, even to a willingness to give up our lives as Jesus did. And that's how we see his kingdom further revealed in and through us. We have to live in the present with the longer view in mind. Do you want to know how to endure these days? Follow Jesus who humbled himself, even to death. So we've, we've known this promise to be raised into new life. You, however, says Paul in the, to the Roman church, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Are people seeing the evidence of that as we go about this crazy, messed up, mixed up, frustrated, angry, divided world at the moment? Are people seeing evidence of Christ living in us?
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To the Corinthian church, he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Again, Paul writes to another church, We throw off those sins which so easily entangle us and distract us. We throw them off so that we might be walking in the newness of Christ. Are we walking in a new way of life and a new way of living or are we allowing the old habits, the old mindsets, the old ways of thinking and speaking overwhelm us and entangle us again? Let us, so there's personal, it's highlighted let us because there's some intention. There's a decision that we have to make. Draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we professed. For he who promised is faithful. And I know some of us are sitting here in this room watching online and we're thinking, I I don't know that I believe that. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Doesn't sound very philosophical, does it? But that's hold on and know that God is holding on to you because he is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And here's the crunch point, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's our task? Not to give up. Hold unswervingly. Be on guard. Don't be deceived. Profess the good news. And keep meeting together. I'll raise this again. When people want to talk to me about how busy their lives are and say we can't attend worship. I know we've missed it all. But it amazes me how quickly we'll put it aside when life gets going again. What decision will we make to hold unswervingly to the ways of Jesus and the heart he has for his body and for his world? that he is seeking to bring back to himself and restore. How will we be a part of restoring that? If the sky is falling, which kingdom will we be announcing? So the call to discipleship is in the midst of the current reality, both both then for the New Testament writers and now for you and I. It's more than a text about doomsday. If we have been paying any sort of attention over the last 12 months, This is another invitation to respond in faith, to trust in Jesus and be at one with the Father. And in every way, the invitation remains the same. What do you do with Jesus? Not just as a task. What do you do with Jesus in relationship? How does following Jesus influence your family? your business, your finances, your worship. The hardest and the best. How will you respond to this one called the Messiah, the Son of God? How will following Jesus, the suffering servant, inform and shape the way that you love others?